Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is a former three-time UFC title challenger and UFC veteran, fourth-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Professor Roberto Maia, and an outstanding commentator. Welcome to the show, the amazing Kenny Florian. Hello, sir. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, man. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. So what I'd like to do, start off a little origin stories. We're going to go back in the day. And we're going to go so far back. Your beginnings in Westwood, Massachusetts, and then the later Dover. You had a good athletic ability, too, from an early age. And one of the biggest things you started with, I'll give you a little video of what you can talk over, is soccer. So you can kind of go to your beginnings of soccer, and that's how you started your professional career of athleticism here. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, both my parents came from Peru. So in, in South America, obviously, you know, soccer is a massive sport there. My dad played soccer, also did martial arts, but certainly loved soccer, was a huge soccer fan, had been to some pretty big soccer matches down in South America and, you know, used to talk about all the greats, Pele, Gahinsha, Maradona, you know, all these guys that were kind of coming up. And, and of course, I became a a fan of soccer as well, started playing basically when I started to walk and um, played all the way through select teams to premier leagues to playing in Europe when I was a teenager and ultimately playing at Boston College. So yeah, it was with me for the majority of my life and you know, don't, don't watch as much soccer as I did when I was younger. I just don't have as much time with my family and, and work and all that stuff, but still a fan of soccer, still enjoy seeing the greats play, big fan of Messi. And I, I yeah. felt like soccer gave me a great athletic base and work ethic in a way that allowed me to become somewhat successful in, in MMA. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it did give you that foundation, that structure. And yeah, at some point you kind of, you have a very interesting story even getting into MMA. I mean, obviously you have that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu background, but you kind of worked as a translator for a while. Mm -hmm. And you were thinking about getting back into college for law. But you had this near-death experience in Brazil that changed all that. Can you go next? Very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was in Brazil on a training trip. I was married at the time. I, I was married pretty young to a high school sweetheart. And, you know, I, I was on vacation. I was training there. And I was with some buddies. And we had kind of veered off the path. We were on a, a location in Rio de Janeiro called Pedro de Gavia, which is Gavia Rock. Um, it's actually the same place where Holy's Gracie passed away on his hand gliding accident. Um, oh. So it's a very, you know, iconic part of Rio, you know, similar to Cristo in some ways where you go up, it's a beautiful hike. It's a treacherous and difficult hike at certain parts. And a lot of people go there for workouts and stuff like that. We did. And we kind of veered off the path a little bit ignorantly. <laughs> and it was quite, it was quite slippery. You know, it's almost like rainforest or it is part of the rainforest portion of Rio. And there was a lot of moss and grass and rocks and things like oh. that. And that, part gets very slippery i think there was like maybe four to five of us my first buddy we were kind of descending down the mountain going off the path a little bit and it was wet and he had slipped and and we all kind of started laughing like oh man wow that was that was funny ha 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 that could have been bad and we kind of kept going down there and then it was my turn i slipped i was sliding down it was at an incline so i'm literally like sliding down yeah. like sled my buddy went to grab me i had a tank top on and there was so much momentum that he couldn't stop my body. So he had turned me around. So now instead of going feet first down the mountain, I was going head first down the mountain. And I had all I felt was just air beneath me and I was falling. And it was probably like, uh, I don't know, 20, 25 foot drops so a decent drop. If I yeah. fell on my head, it would have been bad. And I had fallen onto another ledge that kind of had a rock, a rounded rock on it. And. Somehow I had literally like slapped out like like a martial arts slap out and tucked <laughs> my chin and and it's literally saved my life. Martial arts has saved my life in many different ways, but so many instances within that one near death experience. Now I say it's a near death experience because I had your kind of typical movie like life flashing before my eyes. You know, with 20 25 feet it's it, for you to land on the ground, it's probably like a half a second or a second or something like that. But I literally saw everything happen. And I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe this is how I'm going to die. I remember like going back to childhood memories of me falling, uh, which was really scary. I was afraid of heights. I remember feeling like bad that my parents, you know, 
are going to find out that I'm going to die on some mountain far away from them, you know, thinking about how my body's going to get back to the U.S. Like all these things were coming, like going through my head as I was falling. Like I said, this is like a, a one second drop. And I remember more importantly than anything else, the feeling of feeling sad for myself because mm -hmm. I was too much of a wimp to pursue my dream of being a martial artist. I had wow. I had such a passion and love for martial arts and I felt like it was the one thing that was truly giving me meaning in my life. And I I, I was afraid to actually go into it full time. And I, I also didn't know what that looked like. I wasn't able to define it so much. I, I thought it would maybe be as an instructor. So I, I was unclear in, in what my path would be. But anyways, I landed, I, I fell on that rock, I had slapped out. I remember my, my like one of my friends crying up above because they couldn't see where I landed. They thought I died. If I didn't land on that ledge, I would have fallen hundreds of feet and oh, most certainly man. would have been, you know, if not paralyzed, dead. And that moment really impacted my life because I realized, you know, in my body that life is short, truly short, and that if that was my last day on earth, I, I would have not fulfilled, I think, my duty as a human being and, and and would have lost a lot of meaning in my life. And it was that moment that changed everything moving forward. I, I ended up uh, getting divorced. I, I changed my whole life. I ended up becoming a full-time martial artist. I, I did my job part-time uh, and then went into teaching privately and teaching at the gym. I was already kind of teaching at the gym, but uh, I, I would I was just training full time. So I could train as many times as I wanted to. And it also came with a whole lot of struggles. I was sleeping on people's couches. I was, you know, didn't have a whole lot of money. I invested basically everything I had into myself and my training and just kept at it. And just, I, I loved it though. I, it, I yeah. in a weird way, I was... I was so dependent on it in a lot of ways because I didn't have a whole lot of money and, and I was struggling for sure. But at the same time, I was so happy just doing what I loved. Man, what an amazing story. That's, that's amazing. And yeah, like I always like to bring up, like a lot of people do see like they're on the podium with the gold medal or fighting in the UFC. You don't see all the stuff that goes into that. But what a profound, self-introspecting, life-changing moment and willing to take the bullet, so to speak, and just whatever comes my way, I'm going to push forward on this. Yeah. I wasn't exactly sure how to approach it. I think I was scared of what people will think about me. I did not come from, you know, this um, economically depressed background. Uh, you know, my, my father was a, was a medical physician. He was a surgeon. Um, I grew up in a really nice neighborhood. You know, I, I didn't have to deal with a whole lot of struggles financially coming up my, my parents didn't just hand me money I, I definitely had to had to do things on my own but by no means did I go hungry or you know right. have anything like that so you know I, I think there was pressure in a different way of like hey you need to be a lawyer or you need to be something that people are going to you know look up to you and yada 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 and you know being a martial artist or being a fighter isn't that how are you going to survive and how are you going to make a good living like that was kind of the pressure around me with my family like I, I went to a good school I went to Boston College I was supposed to make something of myself on a professional level and I just felt a whole lot of pressure to be that and once I was able to break free of that and go no I I need some actual meaning in my life and yeah. I felt like I actually needed struggle I needed adversity I needed to follow the path of a warrior and I, I know that sounds dramatic but it really was how I felt because I, I did feel like I had this tremendous amount of fear that was on my back that was chasing me. Wow. And eventually I had to stop and turn and face it. And uh, I knew that one of the best ways for me to combat that was by making myself, you know, I guess fearless or understanding what this fear is. I'm not sure I still understand it, but yeah. um, it was something that I, I needed to quell in some way, shape or form. And yeah. chasing, you know, the path of a warrior was going to give me that fulfillment, that peace and that satisfaction and that meaning in my life. 
Wow. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. You have to have that drive. And at some point, you, you know, going through that, now that you're on that journey, that, that path, you got on the mainstream level, that kind of chance to have a break. And that was on the first season of Ultimate Fighter. That's how I got into, I mean, obviously I saw, you know, the first UFCs in the early nineties and I, I fell in love with it, but I didn't even think to reach out and find a school to train until I saw that. I actually, I ran, I'm from Illinois. So I went to a Carlson Gracie senior school which is like an hour and a half away. People are spoiled now. There's one on every corner. Yeah. And I, I run into Stefan Bonner. I'm like, while the show, like, I think it was like last two episodes, I'm like, I guess I'm in the right place. Uh, what was that show experience like? And man, did you take every advantage to take that opportunity, huh? Yeah, you know, I um, originally I was very hesitant in, in being a part of it. I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a fighter. Mm. I wasn't sure I wanted to be a fighter until after I lost to Diego Sanchez in that finale. So Right. In a lot of ways, it was, you know, I think that to follow truth or to follow your heart, there is this revealing, right? There is this process of revealing both yourself and what your true intentions are. And I think that brought me closer to the path of a warrior and to what that meant. And I got a chance to expose myself or, or get exposed to some great fighters, not only yeah. the ones that were on the show, but of course, you know, to guys like Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell. I got a chance to see what that lifestyle was like, you know, may maybe not in, in my exact way, but in, in their ways. And I understood what it was like to train like a professional every single day to a certain extent and figure out what that was like. And that whole experience was amazing. You know, it was all of us, you know, testing each other, poking and prodding and seeing where the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of our games were. And I realized I had, I knew before I was on the show that I needed a lot of work, but being on that show, you're like, man, I need to improve this, 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 and that on a technical level. Coming off of the show and losing to Diego Sanchez in the, in the finale, I realized that I was not mentally where I thought I was in that I, I had never experienced fear for whatever reason before a fight. I'd never felt, you know, a lack of confidence. Oddly, maybe it was my own ignorance, but before that fight, I felt so much nervousness because my focus was not on the task at hand. My focus was on doing it for my friends and my family and not wanting to be embarrassed and, you know, getting this contract that was going to change my life and, you know, all these other things that really didn't matter or that weren't I guess it did matter, but it wasn't going to help me on fight night. Like I, I should have been focused on what I needed to do and be as present as possible. And I wasn't, and I caved to the pressure. And wow. after that show, I realized that I beat myself. Maybe Diego Sanchez would have beaten me anyway, because he was certainly more experienced than I was. But where I failed was in my lack of ability of at least showing what I was capable of. And that's what hurt me so much. And I really started looking inward and started seeing what I needed to do to cultivate the mind of a warrior. And I started doing a lot of reading and a lot of, you know, different reading a lot of different psychology books and getting being inspired by a lot of war stories and looking at a lot of history and and finding out, you know, maybe if I could grab a hold of the mentality of some of the warriors of the yeah. past that I could elevate myself in what I was doing. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because when you go into it, that was one major question I did want to ask you because, you know, off of a loss, you, there's so much to learn out of that or motivate or change or adapt. What's the importance of loss? Because everybody loses. I mean, you're not going to go with no loss out of career. Every champion ever has done that. It's how you adapt to that loss. Can you go into the importance of mindset with that? For sure. And that's what, makes fighting so interesting is that it is utterly inambiguous <laughs> you yeah. know if you're paying attention in that that person beats you especially if it's by finish or referee stoppage for the most part there is no running away from yourself and the result you have to look at it with the most honest eyes you can and go what the hell did i do wrong where what where did I go wrong? And if you don't, you're just going to suffer the same fate again. You can't start blaming the referee or the judges or, you know, you had a bad hair day. You have to look at it very honestly and go, I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. I didn't prepare like this. I didn't do that. Mentally, I needed to do this. So after that, I go, oh, man, like 
I need to be a professional and I need to be aware of all of these things and I need to train my mind, my body, my spirit, my technique, all of these things and find a way to tackle it all. And yeah, I didn't want to experience that embarrassment of not even being able to show what I was capable of. So it's each time there was a loss, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to get better and say, thank you. It was embarrassing. It was humbling. But thank you, sir, for kicking my ass or beating me or doing this. Now I know that much more precisely what I need to do to improve my game and get better and be the best possible fighter that I can be. Now that I absolutely love that. Cause that is such a thing. Anybody, not just martial arts, but any vocation whatsoever can work off of. And you also with that kind of challenge mindset uh, and what you're capable of and getting also your own potential to open up more and more when you challenged, it was, I mean, I'll never forget you challenged BJ Penn at the time. I was just like, Whoa, <laughs> call him out. And you going for that challenge. Is that all part of that mindset of going towards that potential you have? Definitely. I think we're, we're always looking for ways to challenge ourselves, whether it's people who are trying to climb Mount Everest or Kilimanjaro or, you know, doing a triathlon or, you know, whatever it is. I think we're always trying to be our best selves. And, you know, there's a saying that how you do one thing is how you do everything. And, and I think to this day, I'm trying to apply those same things to other aspects of my life, whether it's as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a brother. And we're trying to be our best selves. And in fighting, you get direct feedback from the responses of your opponents, for better or worse. Sometimes very painful responses, but their responses and how you view that is super important. And it gives you a certain perspective that I don't think I would have had. And I think we all have certain amount of weaknesses. And the only way to have those weaknesses is to expose yourself to them. I think, you know, it's something, especially in today's world, we love to kind of point fingers and blame this and blame that. But very rarely are we actually pointing the finger at ourselves first. Like we'll make complaints about the world And we'll go, oh, this is that, and this is that, and these people are doing this, and these people are doing that. Well, look at yourself first. You want to change something? Change yourself first. What are you about? And be honest with that. And it's also a very safe thing. Like if I'm, let's say I would have become just an instructor or just, I don't know, some person who's criticizing from the outside looking in, it's a very different perspective and it's a very different experienced than actually being in there yourself. And what I didn't want to be was that angry man in the rocking chair telling everybody I could have made state, you know, and, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, I, I, I wanted to be the guy in there. And, and I think that was my path because I did, you know, my first inclination was, was I want to be a teacher. I want to be an instructor. I want to help others learn this game. And I don't think I would have been even remotely close to being that instructor that I wanted to be if I didn't experience those things myself. And hopefully I'm able to give that back to, to my students, to, to the fighters that trust me, that I work with, and, and to others. I'm still learning just like them. I am a martial artist first and foremost. And that means that it's an endless process of, of learning, of making mistakes, and improving. And I'm just trying to do that with a lot of different aspects of my life right now. And Um, I am by no means a a perfect person. I am trying to be the best version of myself that I can be. And I have my martial arts experience to to thank for that and and allowing me to push me and give me the confidence to be able to do that. Which is yeah, an amazing foundation to permeate into all aspects of your life. And you go into just kind of early on when you started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or what your first martial arts style was. Here's with you, Professor Maya and your brother Keith. You guys have been doing jiu-jitsu for a long time. I remember even before going into UFC, you were like a stud into the jiu-jitsu world. Can you kind of go into your martial art beginnings then? Yeah, I did some karate, uh, Kempo Karate, Shaolin Kempo Karate in Massachusetts as a kid. All of my brothers and sisters did it. But I didn't reconnect with martial arts until I was in college. And, and it was something that I really missed because for me, as I mentioned, I, I love soccer. I, I got so much gratification and success from soccer, but I didn't quite feel 
that spiritual component to martial arts like I did. Like when I did martial arts, even as a kid, I remember feeling like I was the only person doing martial arts and like that was the only thing that was happening at that moment in time. Hmm. And I felt that pretty much every single time I was in there, I felt like I was doing something special. And there was like this mind, body, spirit connection there that I never really felt. I'm not sure if I could have explained it like I can now back when I was a kid, but there was, there was a magic involved. Everything from like, the ceremony of putting on this gi of this uniform. I almost felt like it was this like superhero uniform yeah. and, you know, the belt and the bowing and the respect and seeing the different animals, the dragon, the tiger, the crane on the wall, everything gave you this, I don't know, this special feeling that elevated the whole experience and not being around that. I definitely miss that. And I was saddened by not being able to do that anymore. I was one of six kids. You know, my mom can only take me to so many practices between all of our kids. And Oh, yeah, imagine. And, yeah, so so driving around was, it was a challenge. And I also was getting really serious in soccer. I was like a part of like three different teams. I was playing year-round. When it was snowing, I was playing indoor soccer. You know, when it was spring, summer, fall, I was playing outdoors all the time in different teams. So I was extremely busy with that, too. And I had to give it up. I reconnected with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in college. I watched the UFC like other people, and, and I wanted to learn it. I came into contact one of my teammates, Daryl Geoffrey. His brother, Tony Geoffrey, had a Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu affiliate, uh, or Gracie Jiu-Jitsu affiliate in Westchester, New York. And he told me that Hoist was going to be there for a seminar. And my, my brother and I saved up our money. We drove out there and did a seminar with Hoist Gracie, and the rest is history. It was something that wow. I just could not stop thinking about. Literally... 90% of my day was thinking about jiu-jitsu. I was taking notes. I was visualizing it. It's all I wanted to do. And after that, it was something that I just turned to and went all in on. I was absolutely obsessed from day one. And that's a, a great word to use because there's a, a negative connotation, but there's a, a very healthy connotation to it as well, which is be obsessed. Whatever you're being into, be all yeah. in or, or, or nothing on it. You'll push so much further forward. There is one subject we do need to talk about here, Kenny. And that is your elbows should be registered weapons, my brother. It is, I mean, from the Chris Lehman fight on the show, the super bloody battle with Clay Guida, obviously with the Muay Thai side of things, uh, there's technique and skill, but uh, what's the deal with those dangerous elbows, buddy? It's like Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I I, uh, I really took to them for whatever reason. I, I think, um, especially back then, I, I didn't really understand how the fundamentals of boxing really worked that well and hmm. but to me having a hard rounded weapon that was easy to employ at close range of where close. i wanted to be as a grappler many times it just paired well with my style i think and i didn't have to throw with a tremendous amount of power i didn't have to hurt my hands i you know it was a weapon that a lot of people weren't really thinking about or seeing and it just I don't know. It, it just went well together with my style and my game, and, and they became very effective. I, I had a great coach in, in Mark Delagrati at the time who was showing me how to use them. We would throw them in sparring a lot. We'd have elbow pads and stuff, but we had, you know, I had great sparring partners that knew how to control it and you know, had elbow pads, and we could work it all the time. So I was just very used to throwing them. Ganyal Fairtex, who was one of the Muay Thai coaches on The Ultimate Fighter, you know, believed in my elbows and would always tell me to, to throw them. I remember him telling me, elbow, 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 before a Chris Lehman fight. He's like, you need to throw elbow. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't, we'll see, you know. And sure enough, he was correct. You know, it ended up working very well. I think it was the 37-stitch cut on over Chris Lehman's eye that that opened up. I, you yeah. know, Sean Stirk fight, it, lo it worked well. You know, Clay yeah. Guida, as you mentioned, a lot of different people. I, I used it whether I was on the ground or on top or on the feet. It was a great weapon and one that I think even to this day isn't utilized as much as it can be. And probably the nastiest one, Alex Carolexis. That no, oh, yeah. so come on. As soon as you saw that, you, you were like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah. It it sliced right through his nose to the point where he told me he's like the doctor told me that if I did anything for I think it was like six or eight months, he's like I couldn't even get hit in the nose for six to eight months because I could lose my sense of smell. 
Uh, and I remember oh. I was like, man, that was crazy. So you can literally see like the nasal passages uh, oh. at when I sliced it. It was so bad. Sorry, Alex. I love you, buddy. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well placed elbow for sure. And another factor too, like if you want to go on stats or whatever, eight of your wins by way of submission, seven of those eight were by rear naked choke. You know, I, I'll even throw it like the Takanura Gomi, amazing fight, a super tough guy and multiple others. What was just that training like? Cause everybody's kind of like the master of masters of a certain technique or mm. part of the style. What was your training like specifically for that? Um, you know, I, uh, I was always fascinated with the rear naked choke since day one. I saw a certain efficiency and effectiveness that really other arts didn't have. So I was always enamored and obsessed with the rear naked choke. And I think, you know, if you look at, maybe there's other moves, but for me, I think it's maybe the only one that if we took a, I don't know, a, a child and we put them in any other position per se, even an arm lock or triangle choke or, you know, leg lock, punches, strikes. If I had them do anything full on as a child, you know, knee me in the face, it wouldn't be fun, but it probably wouldn't knock me out. A uh, full on punch. It wouldn't be fun maybe, but it wouldn't knock me out. Um, if they had me in an arm bar, I could probably curl them and stop them from doing it. Or, you know, if they had me in a triangle choke that, you know, this is, we're getting a little dark here. I could slam them on the ground, all these things. But if they had my neck and they were on my back locked in and they had the rear naked choke, I don't, they could put me out. And I think that's the power of jujitsu. That's the power of technique. I think that it's the move itself. It was the technology itself that made it powerful and made it, uh, feasible for a guy like me to pull it off. And I had, you know, skinny arms. I could weave it into the underneath the chin really well. And, and it was a position that I, that I studied a lot. You know, I, I'm not sure I would say I was a master of it. I'm not sure of a master of it right now, but it was certainly something that I enjoyed doing. I, I, I do have a mm-hmm. better understanding of it than say other moves maybe. But when I did have that position, for whatever reason, my body just knew what to do. And yeah. I would allow it to just take over. And I would be able to take my mind out of it. And there was no thinking involved. My body just knew what to do. And it would execute oftentimes very well from that position. I love that. Because as I always tell my students, I always right? like you have your own personalities through different things in life. You have your own jujitsu personality. We're all going to learn these basics. But you're yes. going to gravitate towards this pass versus that pass. And I love that. And you were one of the greatest guys at game plans when you went in there. Very technical. You also had the heart uh, behind it as well, but the game plans. Can you kind of talk about the importance of a game plan going into a fight? Sure. You know, I always think that there was always something better that I could have done, but based on my skills at the time, I, I thought I was decent at, at creating strategy and game plans anyway. And I, and I certainly didn't do it all by myself. I definitely had help from some great coaches and feedback. My brother Keith assisted with that as well. Faraz Sahabi was great at that and you know, got some different feedback and stuff from a lot of different people. But yeah, I, I did my best to basically find out where my opponent was strong how I could take that away from them and what I needed to do and what skills I had that matched up well against them. And, and I tried to basically understand my enemy and understand myself, right? Just like Sun Tzu said, to, to have yeah. success. And I think that's a big, important element where you have to see yourself honestly and you have to see your opponent honestly without bias and say, how am I going to beat this guy? What, what are my best chances? And what is the most efficient and easiest path to victory? Because at the end of the day, I, I, I truly think that the most important aspect of martial arts and, and fighting is efficiency. If you think about the fact that, hey, we're not always 100% when we have to defend ourselves. Should, you know, God forbid someone go and attack us. I don't have the choice of going, hey, can we meet back here at 5 p.m. on a Monday? You know, I'm not feeling great right now. You don't have that choice. So your technique better be pretty damn efficient. If you have a headache, if you have a bad knee, if you have something going on where you're not – in your ideal state, then your technique better be able to speak well for you. And I think that that's where efficiency is is so critical, especially over a period of time of 
you know, a five minute round, a 15 minute right. fight or a 25 minute fight. You have to know how to manage your energy. Our energy levels are, are similar to a video game where they are fixed. Some people may have larger energy boxes than others, uh, and some may expend energy way faster than others. But the key is, you know, how you execute your technique, how you breathe, how you manage right. your muscle efficiency and all those things is very important over the course of, say, a 25 minute battle. So I thought about that a lot. That's why, you know, it really was technique first for me. And and I also had to devise the right game plans to allow myself to give, you know, to give myself the best opportunity for victory. So it really it took a lot of studying. It took a lot of, you know, I guess reading of history and things like that. Yeah, and yeah. And trying to make certain analogies to that and, and mixed martial arts. That's amazing. And also even on a professional level for fighters, like how often you actually go into the cage or other guys with the ring, uh, how often do you go in there a hundred percent, like healthy, ready right. to go. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. That's another, a whole nother factor. Now, when you were competing a lot, right. You don't have to go into every little detail, but I like to ask a lot of guys to come on the show. What was an average week like for you for training, fitness, rest, recovery, diet? Like what was an, like an average week like for you? Yeah, I think it varied camp to camp, but for the most part, you know, I, I was training all the time um, and there, there wasn't, you know, I'm talking about camps, but I, I, there was my fight training, right? Where it became more specific, but there was never a time where I wasn't training. I was back in the gym pretty much immediately and, uh, you know, unless I had some kind of injury or something like that, I was back in the gym um, and at the very least taking notes on my last fight and figuring out what went right, what went wrong, all those things and really trying to approach it like a professional, the best that I knew at the time. So I would train Monday through Saturday. It would be anywhere from two to three times every single day. So Sundays I had off, but that training basically consisted of technical training. So there was my technical training where I was trying to learn new things, where I was basically drilling or doing positional sparring for certain skills. There was actual sparring where it's, you know, I'm not actually trying to do positional skills or work on new skills. I'm, I'm just going at it with someone else. Yeah. So that consisted of jujitsu, boxing, Muay Thai, wrestling, putting it all together, cage work, you know, offensively, right. defensively, being on my back, being on top, being at different rages on the feet, defenses, counterattacks, all those different things. And, and I would kind of write out a schedule of what I was going to work on. So I had this big kind of whiteboard and I would kind of have each session, not only like what I was going to do, but specifically what I was going to do in those sessions. And I would lay it out for the week. Sundays were my day off and I would just rinse, wash, repeat uh, all the time. And sometimes I would travel or bring guys in to assist me. And things like ice baths and yeah. uh, things as far as recovery goes. Definitely. I, I didn't really know about ice baths so much back then. I, I oh. That was something that I took on after I retired. I wish I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would ice things that were sore, but I, I wouldn't immerse immerse myself into cold water like I do now. And, and that I think is extremely beneficial from a recovery standpoint, from a physiological standpoint, yeah. from a psychological standpoint. Psych yeah. There's so much that I, I didn't know <laughs> back then, but I was always looking for things. I did do, actually Joe Rogan had recommended floating and I was like, floating? What oh, the hell yes. is floating? He's like, dude, if you do floating, you're going to be a Jedi. I was like, okay, go on. Well, you have my attention. And there happened to be a, a location in Boston where, you know, it was this pod filled with water and Epsom salts. And there was like 800 pounds of salt in there. So basically you would float and the water wasn't very deep, but you could float above that water. And it's like one of the only times where there's like where, where gravity is on your body, but there's no resistance. So you're you're literally kind of floating almost like you are in air. And not only was it an opportunity for your body to kind of relax and settle in, but it was a an opportunity for your mind to meditate on a much, much deeper level. So that was something that I would do either on a day off or in between training sessions that I found very helpful. And it was just, you know, random input from an awesome guy like Joe Rogan to say, hey, have you ever tried this? And I was like, interesting. I'm going to try it. Like I had a very open mind. So I was going to, I was going to try things. I wasn't, I wasn't always going to agree with you, but I was very willing to try different things to get an edge. That's amazing. Yeah. As long yeah. it was as long as it was legal. 
Illegal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Come, come from Joe. You never know. <laughs> I know exactly. Exactly. That's a different, different topic altogether. Right. Right. Now you also have an interesting perspective to all professional athletes, Olympians. I hear once they retire, that can go the right way or the wrong way. Mentally, mentally speaking, yeah, I guess to a degree physically. And unfortunately due to accumulated injuries, back problems, I believe in when you're working out around 2011, you didn't expect you have a major setback. It got to a point where you just couldn't compete anymore. Man, how, when that first hit you, put us in your shoes, how did that hit you and where did you go mentally on those energies you have? Yeah, great question. I, I think that I knew that that eventually was going to happen to me, right? I mean, the, the nature of the sport. Also, you know, in 2007, I had my first bad back injury. So it was something that plagued me throughout my career. And I knew that also my biggest opponent wasn't some guy across the cage for me. Our biggest opponent is always time. That is finite. That is scarce. We have a very limited amount of that. And, you know, having that near-death experience, I understood that that ultimately was, was going to be my biggest opponent. So I had to maximize that to the best of my ability. And when, you know, I, I made up my mind, I guess, a couple years into it, I said, if I'm not physically able to do this sport the way that I want, if I'm not able to train the way that I want, I knew it was going to be time for me to stop. Why? Just because this sport is way too dangerous. I needed every single edge I could. I, I was not built like some freak. I was not this muscular behemoth. I had to, you know, do things differently than other people. I had to train smarter than people. And if I didn't have that element of being able to get better and work on things from a time perspective that I knew that my edge would go away and therefore I'd be vulnerable to defeat even more. Sure. So when my body wasn't able to keep up with the training, I said, you know, I'm done. Thankfully I had, you know, plan B's in regards to, I had a gym, was able to teach, I was able to do seminars. And of course I was able to do commentary and I had, yeah. you know, jobs at ESPN and Fox sports and all these other things that allowed me to make a great living. And so I, I, I feel extremely blessed that that i did have that and i had those opportunities yeah taking those energies elsewhere and by yeah you do a phenomenal job commentating how did you first get the chance to do that and did it come naturally to you yeah i, I guess the first opportunity was was joe silva who was the former ufc matchmaker back in the day and after i forget what fight but anyways it was clay guida and roger huerta they, they were scheduled to fight in the main event of the ultimate fighter six finale and he said hey you may fight one of these guys you may fight the winner would you want to go into the booth kind of like randy couture did and kind of commentate that fight i was like i i guess sure that that sounds like fun he's like you're a fight nerd he's like i think you do great he's like you love talking <laughs> about fighting i was like thanks because you know we would always you know, talk about fights and, you know, we kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And we were both kind of martial arts nerds. So we'd talk about <laughs> fights all the time. And he made that suggestion. He's like, I'm going to talk to people and see if we can make that happen. And he most certainly did. He fulfilled his promise. And that really, you know, I have Joe Silva to thank for that opportunity. And it seemed like they loved my work because Joe Rogan wasn't able to go to Canada for UFC 87. It was yes. the rematch between George St. Pierre and Matt Sarah. Matt Sarah was the champion at the time. And uh, they asked me if I would be willing to do that broadcast with Mike Goldberg. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. I had like two <laughs> weeks to prepare for it. I was like, sure, let's do it. And I had an absolute blast doing it. And I, I guess some of it came naturally to me, but I don't think, I, you know, I, I needed a lot of work, of course, but I had a blast. I loved it. And I was like, I could see myself doing this in the future. ESPN hit me up, I think around 2006, 2007, talked about the show called MMA Live. My co-host at the time would be John Anik. So we started this show. I would drive from Boston to Bristol, Connecticut. I think it was like Wednesday mornings. I would wake up at like 3.30, 4 a.m. I would change, get into my suit, go to Bristol, Connecticut, drive back almost like falling asleep uh, back oh, in Boston. Man. Sorry for everyone who was on the road when I was doing that. Um, and yeah, that was like – that was a part of my routine as well starting in like 2007. So yeah, and then that led to me getting recruited over to Fox Sports to do UFC tonight. So yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's so interesting. The opportunities that you have, the people that you meet, the things that are suggested to you that 
could lead into a lot of big things. So I'm, I'm again, that's another thing that uh, I am so blessed that that was a part of my life. That's unbelievable. And you never know what that life journey, you know, going from, yes. you know, soccer through the death defying experience, uh, USC career, you know, even there, right. Not knowing going into that and so on and so forth. You know, yep. I do like to ask you this question because it's such a profound thought. If the Kenny Florian today, talk to the Kenny Florian back when you were younger, you know, you were to talk yourself, what would that conversation be like, man? Man, that's a great question. I would say, gosh, um, there's so many things. There's so many things. I would say, you know, trust your intuition as a fighter even more. I would say, get the highest and best level wrestling coach that you can. I would have done that much earlier on. And let's see. I probably would have cross-trained with people more. Like I would have gone out and sought out guys in their individual disciplines a little bit more. You know, I, I would have loved to have trained with, I, I train with Ryan Hall now and, and I help him as well, but yeah. I would have loved to have him, you know, watch what I was doing jujitsu wise and help me. I, I would have trained, you know, I would have gone out and maybe trained with like another other karate expert or some, some different disciplines that would have given me some edges here and there. So yeah, I, I think that's one of the main things I think I probably would have done. You know, there's much, much more to that. But yeah, I think that's kind of some of the things I would have done. That's interesting. And also, you mentioned a couple of things here, you know, going into the, the mindset, the study of, you know, war books, the psychology of it. Uh, you also you mentioned Sun Tzu, so the art of war. I imagine the Book of Five Rings with Musashi has to be in that category. So you can name like your top whether it's books, videos, or sources for people to check out? For sure. I think there's there's Bruce Lee's The Tao of Jeet Kune Do. That was yeah. an early influence for me as well. I think he was so ahead of his time. Certainly, Miyamoto Musashi's Book of Five Rings was great. I also like the stories about him. There's a book called Musashi as well. That's excellent. Um, yeah. The Awakening of Intelligence by Jito Krishnamurti, I think, was a, a real early influence on, on my life as well. It's a book that I guess allowed me, maybe not initially, but it allowed me to question everything and to kind of look at things a little bit more from first principles and to question our past of what we know wow. and how to look at something with, with truly an open mind without our past kind of getting into it. Like, how do you look at something honestly and truthfully? So that had a big influence on me. There was a, a book on leadership by a former Delta Force sergeant that I read that was really cool on, on how they approached certain things. The book Delta Force actually by Charlie Beckwith was a book that influenced me as well. These are books that I haven't read in many, many years, but th those were kind of the things that really inspired me and got me to look at combat fighting and myself in a lot of different ways and to kind of approach it as an investigator, as a scientist. And also to look at it as an art as well and to be as authentic as possible with, with who I was and what I was trying to be. Yeah, and always pursued. Yeah, the, the life and the mindset of a warrior. I, I love that. Staying true to that. As we're kind of wrapping up here, it's very interesting. I'll put this picture up because it's a very interesting side of things. That's Jonah Hill doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You are an inspiration to him, but there's a lot of celebrities kind of jumping on the Jiu-Jitsu bandwagon. I had Higa Machado on, so obviously a whole bunch there. Yes. You know, wh why do you suppose, I mean, I know the benefits that you did, so you know the benefits and everyday people, but like, why do you see so many celebrities jumping on board, do you think? I think that, you know, in, in some cases, it, it's just fun, right? It's, it's a yeah. physical activity that's cool to do. It's intriguing to learn how to defend yourself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that there's that aspect of it. There is that constant measure of who we are, what we can do, right? But I think that there's very – you, sports certainly give you that. But I think martial arts is one of the few things that truly connects mind, body, and spirit. I, I know I, I kind of sound like a bro broken record there. But it's one of those things that we can really look at ourselves through a different lens. And I think that you know it's important for us to chase some of the things that we're scared of. I think defending ourselves, fighting is something that is there and kind of always is there, especially for a male. Yeah. We have found a way to, you know, kind of, 
I don't know, at least maybe calm that fire a little bit. You know, there is this uh, certain masculine energy in boys. You know, I have a son that is very different than, say, a girl, than a female. I think we all kind of have that to a certain extent, but certainly in in males, we, we have just a different level of energy and we've been defending ourselves. It is oftentimes and was oftentimes and to this day, you know, we, we do send some females to war. There's no question about that. But it is so often the males that were out there defending the tribes that were sent out to war to get certain things. And that is something right. that is within us. It's in our yeah, DNA. Historically, yeah. Historically. And I think that men need to reconnect with that thing. And I think, oh. you know, I, I felt as a, as a kid coming up that it scared the shit out of me, you know, getting yeah, in a yeah. fight. But it was very intriguing to me. And I think that warrior spirit is something that we all need today, both male and female. We need to connect with that. You know, they say, you know, if you if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people out there that will and are trying to take advantage of you in some way, shape or form. And let's say that isn't the case. What we do want to feel is confident with our ability to be able to do that and to whatever boundary, whether it's physical or spiritual, energetic, whatever it is, we want to be able to hold that space and be confident in that space. And, you know, I guess on a physical level, the world's a crazy place. And to know that you can handle adversity, you can handle pressure, and you can handle the fact if someone has tried to attack you or your family, that at least you have some skills to be able to do that. And that's what gives us confidence. And that's what also gives us self-discipline and control. You know, I would be very, very afraid of giving dangerous weapons to those that don't know how to use them. Or to those that don't know how to control them, who don't have the discipline or don't have humility within their body. Martial arts gives you humility to understand that you can be killed, you can be hurt. And now what are you going to do about that? I think that having weapons in the hands of those that have never experienced that is a very dangerous thing. And I think many times... It's the people that have never experienced war or physical battle that are actually pushing for war. You know, it's like many of the politicians or leaders that are saying, we need to go to war. I'm not going to send my kids, but like your yeah, kids right. and you, yeah. you guys can go to war, right? It's like, well, of course you want to do that because you don't know what it's like. And I think that if everybody had been punched in the face before and beat up, and all that stuff, I think we'd almost live in a more calm place in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you have to, of course, it can't just be random violence, but testing of those skills and knowing how to manage those things, I think often creates a certain humility, a certain understanding, a certain connection that makes things, I don't know, I, I think it calms the waters within us a little bit more. And it's not always the case. Martial arts isn't going to make everybody a great person, but I think it, it certainly right. allows for Uh, someone to explore that path to greater understanding of self and of the world. And it gives more self-esteem and confidence to people as well, both men, women, and children. And and because of that, I think it's extremely important. God, that's such a great, great way of wording it. Yeah. I mean, even the philosophers back in ancient Greece, Plato, Socrates, they all were warriors and some of the greatest minds ever. And yeah, you go into, let's say a jujitsu school or karate school, you go in there, it's not full of meatheads, but like it's more cerebral and permeates into your everyday life. I absolutely love that. Well, I have just one last question for you. I don't want to take up too much more time approaching an hour here. Kenny, what's the future look like for you? What kind of goals do we have here? Thank you, man. Yeah. You know, my goal right now, I'm still dealing with that big back injury. So I'm, I'm really trying to find some type of solution for my back. It's something that has plagued me. If I'm not doing martial arts, I, 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 I'm not in the best mood sometimes. I, I really need to express myself physically, and martial arts is my favorite way to do that. So I'm really trying to get to a point where my back is stable and I no longer have to deal with this pain, inability to move. I'm kind of dealing with it right now. It's not constant pain all the time. I, I have kind of episodes. So I, I really want to get healthy again so I can get back to a regular training schedule. And I don't know, man, I'm just trying to be the best that I can be, whether it's as a father, as a husband, as a coach, as a mentor, as a friend. I'm just trying to be the best possible version of myself. And 
that's really what drives me right now. So I'm trying to learn as much as possible and explore as much as possible. And that's pretty much it, man. So uh, just, you know, continuing to work on the Professional Fighters League as a commentator and as a host on the show BattleBots. Yeah, that's great. Of course, with uh, with John Anik at the Anik and Florian podcast and an instructor over at Florian Martial Arts Center in Boston as well. And yeah, so just trying to basically do all those things that I'm passionate about. I love that, man. I love your work. And you ever thought about like a book or something of this nature or? Uh, It's funny you say that. I I have... um, that idea has been coming into my mind for a long it, time now. Sam Sheridan, the guy who wrote the fighter's heart, fighter's mind has oh, been yeah. like really kind of pushing me for years to write a book and I'm shaping it now. Uh, I have a ton of notes on my phone oh, and things cool. and different experiences that I'd love to turn into a book one day. Hopefully some people would find it interesting, but I have a better idea of what that looks like. And I definitely hope to put, my thoughts to paper or an audio form as well, of course, at some point in the future. So I, I, I definitely hoping to do that. Another thing I'm doing is I, I work with a group called Argus Integrated Defense, and I'm creating a new self-defense competition that I'm working on oh, as cool. well that I think people will find intriguing that involves weapons and different things like that. So working on that and you know also teaching you know the integration of pistol and self-defense as well. That's something I've amazing. been interested in. And so, yeah, those are all the things that I'm kind of currently doing. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure watching your whole journey and continue to see you grow and prosper on everything. And I look forward to the future. I really appreciate it, man. You do a great job. Thank, I really appreciate it. Yeah. You got I'll keep in touch. Take care, bro. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.